0: We don't know where she lived or if she even had a home. We don't know whether she normally huddled in the doorway of a local tavern or if she kept clear and she kept out of sight of society. We don't know where Jesus found her. But wherever she was and whatever her status or circumstance, she must have been miserable. And it's pretty miserable being miserable. She likely heard voices in her head or experienced sleepless nights with thoughts of self-harm or violence. If we could go back in time, we would not be surprised to find an unkempt, wild-eyed woman talking to herself and snapping at those who came near her. Her name was Mary. She was from Magdala, and she had seven demons living inside. But along came Jesus. And although she's mentioned in all four Gospels, we find no specific details of Jesus' initial encounter with this Mary. Scripture simply says, And it came to pass afterwards that Jesus went through every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. That's kind of burying the lead, don't you think? There's, there's so much to be told in that story, and we don't know any of it. At some point, Jesus cast seven devils out of Mary. Her life must have been a mess before Jesus found her. We only find a few instances in Scripture where anybody had more demons than Mary. Mary is a classic example of how completely and how drastically Jesus can change a life. She went from being a devil-possessed, socially unstable outcast to being a heroine in the Bible. She's mentioned by name 12 times in the Gospels, which is more than most of the disciples or other women in Jesus' life who were not His family. Mary traveled with Jesus. Mary was at his crucifixion. She was at his burial. Not many people had that privilege. But perhaps the greatest honor of her life was being the first person Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. She had gone to his tomb with the other women on the morning after when Jesus rose from the dead, but Mary and the others found the tomb empty, and they ran to tell the disciples. And evidently, Mary hung back in the garden long enough, alone, At some point, because three of the Gospels tell us she spoke with Jesus. She thought he was the gardener. (laughs) I guess the name tag on the uniform shirt didn't give it away. Then she recognized Jesus' voice and she was overwhelmed with emotion. Perhaps Mary was more passionate toward Jesus because he had shown her such great, magnificent mercy when he touched her life, when her life seemed to be untouchable. But she's not the only one and i'm looking forward to sharing more about that right after this welcome to god's word for life lesson companion podcast brought to you by word of flame curriculum and the pentecostal publishing house this podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about god's word further develop their personal relationship with jesus christ and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of god for their lives let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry. I am your host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. And today's episode comes from Mark chapter 1, verse 41. When the scripture records, And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and said unto him, I will, be thou clean. Now, obviously, Mary was a her. This guy's a hymn. There's got to be another story about somebody Jesus touched who seemed to be untouchable. And there is. He was a leper. One of the oldest known groups of societal outcasts were lepers. Before certain medical treatments were available, lepers were required to stay separate from the rest of the world. The separation was not just the result of prejudice. It was actually a biblical mandate so everybody could stay healthy. We find it in Leviticus 13, it's this long passage about if there's a bald head or bald forehead, white, reddish, sore, leprosy has sprung up in the bald head or the bald forehead. And then it continues to say, if you see this, then it could be leprosy. And if you see that, it could be leprosy. And then it gives the sentence, the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean he shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. Now that is another level of quarantine. Considering lepers unclean, it was understandable. Mosaic Law said they were unclean. Their skin disease could potentially infect other people. The uncleanness, it was a medical issue, not an issue of a person's wealth or their personality. The disease was contagious. That was the concern. So this quarantine was not designed to devalue the person who contracted leprosy. It was meant to protect those who didn't. People are often defined, though, by things that publicly manifest in their lives. Somebody who is painfully shy might be viewed as socially challenged. They might even be legitimate issues at play in the lives of people who have addictions or they make bad lifestyle choices. It's not wrong to be aware of the challenges some people have. It's not wrong to set boundaries when it comes to unhealthy relationships, but it is wrong to discard people as those who have no value or to regard them as irredeemable just because they have issues. Even though we have issues, we still have value because we are created in the image of God to bear the image of God. But in the case of lepers, as Leviticus dictated, they were instructed to stay away from the population and to live outside the camp. And so leper colonies sprung up, and they've existed in many cultures throughout the centuries. While the hygienic reasons make sense, the emotional consequences are enormous. So let's ask this question. What are some things we can do to reach out to lonely people without making them feel embarrassed? Let's think about that one for a minute. How can we minister to the lonely and seemingly untouchable without embarrassing them? Now how humiliating and how hopeless lepers must have felt as they were required to cry out, unclean, to anybody who passed by. They were defined as unclean, undesirable. That can have some devastating consequences on people, don't you think? How about a man who feels stupid because he was emotionally berated as a child and told as a child that he was? How about a teenager who threatens to take her life because she feels invisible? Nobody sees her. Or as we have seen in the news lately, a recluse or somebody who's been ignored, who becomes a thug or a bully or even an assassin because he was bullied. Thankfully, God is not like everybody else. And thankfully, his people should not be either. First Peter chapter four, verse eight instructs believers above all things have fervent charity among yourselves for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Love makes a way. Love provides a way of escape. Love rescues people from the leper colonies of sin, abuse, abandonment, addiction, wrong choices. The Apostle Paul described love, true love, real love, in 1 Corinthians 13. You've probably heard it at a wedding. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, it does not behave itself rudely, it does not seek its own, is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love endures all things. So since love believes the best of people, how can we love people without worrying they'll take advantage of our love? Now let's talk about love. Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. Jesus was love incarnate. God inserted himself into our world to demonstrate how we should live and example it. Jesus and the epistle writers encouraged us to emulate him, follow him. If we follow in Jesus's footsteps, he's going to lead us to the criticized, the sinners, the societal outcasts. And he was criticized for hanging out with those others criticized. (laughs) But he hung out with them anyways. He spent time with them anyways because he loved them. And Jesus even superseded the law and touched a leper. And here's where we get back to our story. A leper came to him, beseeching him, kneeling down to him and said unto him, If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as Jesus had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed and he straightly charged the lepers forthwith, sent him away and said unto him, don't say anything to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing the things which Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. <laughs> but the leper didn't listen. He went out and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter. Insomuch Jesus could no more openly enter the city, but was without in desert places. And people still came to him from every quarter. I love this story. It's found in Mark one verses forty to forty-five. Now think about your own life. And think about a time you faced a difficult situation in your life and began to pray in faith. What happened? I'll tell you what happened with the leper. When the leper came to Jesus, he begged Jesus to be healed. But even more significantly, he made a very faith-filled statement. God, if you will, you can make me clean. That implies he either saw Jesus do miracles or somebody told him Jesus does miracles. Either way, Jesus does work miracles, but he does not heal everyone. Many times he waits for people who need help to express their faith to him, which is why many churches give the opportunity for people to make some public statements of faith or encourage people to step out of their seats and walk toward the altar where they can express their faith in God. The book of Mark tells us when this leper called out to Jesus, Jesus was moved with compassion. We face a major challenge in a very print-rich, media-rich world. Advertisers, news spinners, societal architects, they are constantly pulling on our heartstrings. And our emotions can be dulled toward those who are needy or less fortunate. We describe this state as being compassioned out. There's actually a legitimate issue and disorder that many first responders face or many clergy face called compassion fatigue. There's so much hyped up and emotionally charged appeals surrounding us, bombarding us. It's very tempted to just turn off our compassion. In fact, we can feel like sometimes we've run out of compassion. And at that point, as believers, and disciples of Jesus, we must learn, we must go back to where we can be moved with God's compassion again on behalf of the people Jesus wants to touch. Here's a question. What would the compassion of Jesus look like if he lived in our world, in flesh, again, if he lived in our world? Mark 1, verse 41 reveals Jesus was so moved with compassion, he did the unthinkable. Jesus moved toward a man everybody ran away from, and Jesus touched the leper. He didn't do so carelessly. He touched the man to heal him. But he didn't just want to heal him. He wanted to validate him, not just give him his health back. Jesus gave him his humanity back. Several decades ago, a missionary had Arrived in the in the country of Ethiopia with her family, and when she first arrived there in the country, she and her family were not readily received by most of the people, but they began to minister to a leper community, and she explained what a challenge it was to go to the leper colony with her children, whom she wanted to keep healthy and safe, but God used her and used those efforts to begin a great work for His glory in Ethiopia, and today. There may be more Jesus-name, Holy Spirit-filled believers in Ethiopia than there are in America, but somebody had to be willing to go and touch and minister to the unclean. Since God looks on the heart, we must be ready to minister to anybody God puts in our path. A man recently told about a vision he had, and in this vision he went to heaven. And while he was there, he saw a man who looked familiar he was sitting on a throne, and when he asked about the man, he was told this was the homeless man he had seen on several occasions, and he written off as crazy. But the heavenly guide then told the backstory of the homeless man. He was born deaf and had suffered abuse and neglect in his life, but he had faithfully done all he knew to do, and he had helped other people. And because of his faith, he was being honored in heaven, although everybody on earth had viewed him as an outcast. This story is very reminiscent of a story we read in Luke 16 where Jesus told a story in, in such a way that many scholars believe it was a true story about two men who really, literally lived near one another. We learn about the importance of obeying God and treating other individuals, no matter how they treat us, with dignity and as those who are created in the image of God. It's the story of a rich man in Lazarus. So the whole heart of the issue is how will we be the body of Christ on earth if Jesus was willing to reach out to those nobody reached to, everyone ran from. How can we reach out toward them? How can we minister to them? How can we be moved with compassion toward them? God may want to use each of us to reach somebody nobody else is willing to reach. Are we willing? Our job is not to calculate to whom we should reach. It's not to try to come up with an algorithm for the ones who are most reachable because we don't know. Our job is to be available to reach out and touch anybody God puts in our path. We are blessing distributors in a world where people are desperately in need of blessings. And all we need to do is pay close attention to our merciful God and his promptings to touch the people our cruel world has shut out. One more question. Who are some people we as a church need to become more aware of and compassionate toward? Is it the homeless? The addicted? The impoverished? Teenage parents, the alcoholic, the elderly, the shut-in, the sick, the terminal. Who in our world does our world ignore but Jesus wants to minister to? Let's pray that God would help us to minister to them and reach them and be moved with compassion toward them. Okay, we're going to pray right after we wrap this up. It was very surreal. The band was playing. The crowd was settling in. And Joanne was about to walk across the stage to accept her master's degree in education. Six years of classroom instruction, countless hours of study, a ton of research, much more coffee, along with all her student teaching and writing. Her heart raced. Her eyes teared up. How did she get here? Six years. As the preliminaries began, Joanne's thoughts floated back to her dysfunctional childhood the fights and the hours she had spent hiding in the basement to escape the wrath of her alcoholic parents. She remembered first grade when she discovered everybody else already had started to learn to read, but she had to go to the remedial reading room just down the hall. A few summers later, she endured her parents' volatile divorce and the emotional distress of parting ways with her sweet sister who went to live with her dad and his new wife. But then Joanne thought of a moment in the fall. And one day at recess, as she sat in the corner of the playground, God sent her a kind teacher who took a few minutes to share her own story of childhood abuse and surviving the breakup of her own home and this story gave joanne hope on many occasions throughout her life it helped her move through her teens without a dad she wondered if she would have ever made it without that little boost then joanne's mind jumped to all the other people who had touched her life over the years her youth leader who had faithfully picked her up every friday night the wise lady at church who had taught her how to survive the unwanted advances from guys in high school the pastor who had preached passionately and helped her understand the love of God and the power of God that she could experience by being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit, and the people who had sponsored the scholarship program that made it possible for her to even go to college. Life was a maze of hardships, but God seemed to place helpers at key places all along the way. Joanne was extremely thankful for everybody who cooperated with God and invested in her life, her untouchable life, and then suddenly she felt a nudge. And she snapped back to the here and now as the graduate student next to her whispered, Hey, they called your name. Joanne quickly jumped to her feet, carefully stepped up the steps to the stage and gracefully reached for her hard-earned, well-deserved diploma. And as she walked across the stage, she could hear somebody cheering cheering loudly, cheering her name. The voice was unmistakable. It was her youth leader's wife, another one of those precious people God had placed in her path to help her get from where she was to where she was heading. And she was cheering and calling her name as if it was her own child receiving this diploma. Thank God for those who are willing to minister to and touch the lives of those who seem to be untouchable. Would you pray with me right now? Maybe you feel that way, that you're untouchable but you're not. Jesus wants to minister to you, and he wants to use his church to minister to you. Maybe you're part of his church, and you're asking God for direction and compassion. Let's ask him today that he would do that for us, give us direction and compassion to reach out and touch those who seem to be untouchable and minister to them as somebody has ministered to us. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good, God. My heart today goes out to everyone listening who may feel like they are untouchable or that they don't have value or have worth. I pray minister to them today, and I pray today set somebody in their path who will reach out and touch their life and minister to them and encourage them. I pray Jesus send somebody to them to let them know you know who they are, where they are, and you love them, and so do we. For all of us who are a part of the church and have been so blessed to have people in our lives who have invested in us, help us to do the same. Help us to invest in others. Help us to share your love with others, whether they're lepers or addicts or those who are homeless or those who have nothing to offer financially. Help us to love them just the same because you loved us when we had nothing to offer. I ask you today, Lord, use us for your glory to lift up your name, and minister to people you want to minister to in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Be sure to go to that little red button, click subscribe, click share. That way you'll not miss an episode, and nobody else does have to miss an episode either. Also, head over to pentecostalpublishing.com. We've got some wonderful resources, Bibles, Bible studies, devotions, music, books, great resources. Each of those resources will help you grow in your faith and help others grow in their faith as well. Next week, I want to share with you, it's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. It's in the New Testament. It's another life of one who was seemingly unloved. It's found in John 4, and it's called Water from the Well. And oh, I am looking forward to sharing that with you next week. And always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life,